0: It is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. And today, oh man, I'm so excited about today. Today, we're going to talk to John Craman He's from he's from Mecham Auctions. You've, you've heard John a million times. You've probably seen him. Uh, you know, a couple hundred thousand. I, every car guy I know has kept their eyes glued on Mecham Auctions. It's a great way to see what's really hot, what trends are going, what's bringing big bucks. And where you're kind of sitting at with your current stable, You know, I I love watching auctions because it's a real pulse as to what some of the builders and people are thinking, feeling and really spending money on. Um have you ever sold a car or or ran it through a meekem? Have you ever been up there on the on the the block as your ride rolls through or maybe you bought one before at a meekum? No, man, it is it is like one of my total,
1: you know, bucket list. of dreams because you know everybody everybody has it in their head you know and any car guy is thinking about a barn find and what they can get at an auction or what they can sell at an auction like it is the most exciting experience you know watching it vicariously through the television you know through friends and builders that are always you know in the market uh but you know you've seen the size of my garage I, i live on a lake so i'm i'm scrunched for space so that's the one thing keeping me from having a collection as crazy big as yours. <laughs>
0: is I don't have a place to put all. Yeah, but you got several homes, though. You can put them in all kinds. of I know, of- and I have
1: them full of
0: stuff. So
1: <laughs> I need like you. I need six acres and like forty thousand square feet of storage. Yeah, uh, and then man, I'd be I'd be best friends with John here all day long. You know,
0: I, I love. I've had John on my radio show several times. I've had him on location before. He is such an amazing resource when it comes to cars and builds and, you know, what should be on the car, what it should look like, um, unique personality of the car. Uh, The one thing I really, truly love, not so much, uh, you know, with the 40s and 50s vintage stuff, but, you know, I got really into the cars, some of the late 60s and 70s muscle cars. That's kind of my wheelhouse. Um, It's amazing to me to see some of these cars from the 80s. All of a sudden, gain all this traction. I can't believe what a Gen 3 Camaro brings nowadays. I just sold a, oh, man. a Fox Body Mustang. And, dude, I sold it for a a pretty good chunk of change, and it could have been happier with the deal they got. They love the car. So it's crazy what those cars are going for. Cars I've given three or four of them away at no cost to people or friends, and those cars bring big money now. So you never really know what's going to hit, what's going to miss, but John does, and that's why we're going to have mun. That's why we're going to pick his brain. That's why we're going to find out what's hot, what's not. Yeah, man, it's all kinds of
1: that today on the show. Yeah, the ins and outs, because, like I said, I mean— I dream about it all the time. I can't flip on you know car TV without you know catching one of the auctions and uh, get your blood pumping just from sitting in your couch. I can only imagine what it's like live when you've got you know the stakes out there oh, of you know what you're yeah. bidding on and where it's going to go. You know, I've been to other auctions to buy tools and welders and all kinds of things, and whew, you know, it's that whole you know experience from the day you walk in there and see that first yeah, you know dude. love of man. That car looks great, or that piece of equipment looks great. You know. Wow, I wonder what other people are thinking. Do I have a shot at it? What's it going to go for? All the things that are churning in your mind, you know? Like, it is a full-on, you know, it's like, it's a trip to Vegas, essentially,
0: right? You're spinning the roulette wheel, right? Dude, it's exhausting, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Such an emotional roller coaster, but it's so cool, so unique. And you know what I I love about every time we speak with John, every time I, you know, get out there and get a chance to go to a meekum, is you really... You're really seeing a a trend man there it started a few years back and we saw it you know several years ago at SEMA but man these resto mods these cars that have have taken on a new life with new power plants oh my god I really feel like they're starting to dominate and they're starting to bring command not only eyes ears attention money dollars like my god man some of these cars are really going you know going through the roof on what they're worth and how unique they are, and just the platforms that people are throwing at us. So I'll tell you what. Let's dive into a break. We'll come back. We'll have John on talk about Meekum, talk about where it's all going next. It is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. And we'll see you after the break. It is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He's Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. And John Craman joins the podcast now. My man John, how you been? How's life? What's going on at Mekim? Man, so much catch up on, my man.
2: You know, hey man, as, such a pleasure, always so much fun hanging out with you guys. And I just have to say we are on one heck of a roll. Uh we still got three auctions to go this year, but we are on pace to set another all-time record. Certainly are going to end up north of 600 million dollars in the sale of collector vehicles as the world's largest collector car auction company. And I get to sit there and call the auction on TV on Motor Trend. And it doesn't get much better than that, guys.
0: Dude, now I don't say I don't see why you say six hundred million. The car market's not hot at all. There's nothing been going on the last yeah, couple right. of years. I haven't heard anybody <laughs> talking about car. What are you talking about? $600 million.
1: <laughs> so, you know, let me go back a little bit, because it seems like <laughs> my entire car life, uh the, the auctions and where car prices have gone have always no matter what timestamp, it's like, oh my God, things are going crazy. Has there ever been a time I'm sure small stretches, you know, like in the downturn or whatever else. Is there ever a time where it's not really kind of going crazy?
2: Well, we saw back in probably a little bit before before your time, but we did see uh, a market adjustment 2008 uh, when we had uh, pretty big economic uh, turmoil going on. Yeah. But it really didn't take long. Probably prices down 20 30% at that time, but it did not take long within a year or two. Prices have rebounded and they have been just on a steady increase ever since to the point now where collector cars, which can really be defined in so many different categories pre war classics, the 50s uh, chrome and fin era cars, of course, the 60s muscle cars, Corvettes, uh, always been strong. Now, with strength in the SUV, four by four, and truck market, that's a whole other thing. And now we're transitioning into an era where cars from the 1980s and 1990s, cars that were inexpensive, used cars are starting to get a lot of demand as well, especially for those versions that are in good condition and are unmodified.
0: So, hey, John, explain what you've seen as far as what you would consider, you know how there's evolutionary leaps a, a lot of times. And I mean that in the sense of what people out there are ingesting, what they feel is cool or unique or different um, and it really goes with the, the demographics the waves of people that become enthusiasts in in what we know and love with these cars what are your what are you seeing as a wave of uh, you know, both recently um, with, say, Resto mods or muscle cars, you mentioned cars from the 80s and 90s. There's been a massive surge in trucks and SUVs. Um, where do you see um, the breakout and the fallout? Like, what's hot? What's not? Where do you see the numbers of cars continually reaching new heights and ceilings? Uh, what surprises you every auction?
2: Well, you know, it, it's funny that you say that or ask that because. You know, there was kind of a thought within the past five to 10 years that the cars of the 1950s, had, as an example, which have been a huge part of the market, particularly when we get into the mid-1950s, we started to get V8 engines, the fins, the wild colors, the great styling and all that. Cars were a bit frumpy before that. Uh, and it's been a bit surprising, I think, for all of us that we haven't seen the downturn in interest as much as we thought we would have. Uh, this would be sort of the standard bears that era, you know, Tri-5 Chevys, 59 Cadillacs, Um, 55 to 57 Thunderbirds, anything with wings on the back of it, anything with a big V8 engine with a nice rumble that just takes us all back to a time period. Keep in mind the folks that were enjoying those cars back in the day, they're not driving the market right now. There's a slightly younger demographic, and it might surprise you how I define that demographic. And that would be guys maybe in their mid to late 40s, into their early 50s. That's really right now the current new wave of the uh, typical entry level collector car buyer as the guys as the boomers that right now are maybe between 55 60 years old 70 75 years old as they as they age out and they transition it's this younger crowd's coming back and they seem to be picking up where where us traditional baby boomers are left off that's that's a dynamic i'm not sure anybody predicted but it is happening especially with modified vehicles
0: hey you know what i've seen recently at local auctions here is the amazing number of, you know, younger 30 to, to upper 30 year olds that are going bananas on some of those fin cars that you're mentioning, especially when you can put different power plants in them and drive trains in them. But man, there's there's always that muscle car click and group, and I think that got a really wide appeal. But boy, I will tell you, the more finned out and lowered and and unique that they can make cars these youngsters, you know, you know, upper twenties, you know, lower thirties, boy, these guys are all over some of these fifties late fifties era styling with the fin. You, you named it, you mentioned it with the fins, man. Fins are King uh, with some of these crowds right now. It's really cool.
2: Yeah. You, we kind of refer to that as, as the legacy market, the legacy buyers, as opposed to the nostalgia buyers, those of us that were there growing up in that era, Uh, and that have been kind of messing with cars for a long time, maybe sort of take that wild era for granted. But a whole new generation of enthusiasts have looked at those cars, regardless of how old the cars, and have said, this thing is really something special. I love the styling, but I'm going to beef it up with some personalized taste. It doesn't matter. Plenty of build-it shows that are doing that. Certainly a lot of cars cross the Mecham auction block. Just a lot of interest at car shows as well. In fact, there's dedicated uh, shows and events to that, you know that custom car culture, as it's referred to, with uh, you know the rockabilly music and the look and everything else. Absolutely, I think it's here to stay. I don't think it's going yeah. anywhere. It's just too cool not to not to just accept that it is a phenomenon.
1: Well, you talk about uh, let's say we say legacy, buy- is it legacy? Right. So it's uh, people that didn't grow up in the '50s in cars and go, "Oh man, I want what I had back then." Right. It's a different buyer. It's a younger buyer that are you know kind of getting geeked up about those those products that you know they didn't get to experience ever, so they're doing it for the first time. Are you seeing that same trend across the board or only in specific markets? So like you mentioned, the late 40s and 50s guys, are they going for the 80s and 90s cars predominantly or are they still 60s, 50s? Are they spread all over the place? Like, you know, are people buying what they grew up with or are they buying what they didn't have growing up?
2: Well, there's a couple, that's a great question because there's really a couple of different factors. There's a lot of people that maybe, maybe want their dream car of a certain era, and it can be anything uh, that simply can't afford it. So they look at alternatives that, that they might be able to afford that might not be their dream car, but might be good enough for now, or might be a stepping stone into what ultimately what they want. So the reality to that is, is every vehicle has a potential buyer, every vehicle has a certain price, uh, and a good example is say like a 50s or 60s car that's so popular right now in a four-door version, say versus a two-door mm-hmm. or a convertible, that it's, it, it's a fraction of the price. And there's a lot of folks that will go that way. And station wagons, of course, have begun to get a little bit up ahead of steam on their own, tying in with the nostalgia of folks going on vacation and the practicality of a station wagon. A lot of different platforms were available back in the day, but the entry-level version in a generic 50s, 60s car that's affordable is a four-door. The more expensive cars, obviously, will have less doors or the top will go down.
0: Yeah, man. So... uh as, as you're watching, you know, cars from the 50s, obviously let's let's talk a little bit about the muscle cars because I think there's always a, an enormous demographic and even young, old, I don't care if you're 15, 55, or 105, you tend to love a, a badass muscle car. Uh, what is it about that era? What what is it that that makes those so cool? And how much of the younger demographic you see putting all these modern drivetrains in there? Because I've seen more Hellcat powered Roadrunners and old Chargers than I've I've seen you know uh, the old ones. And same thing goes for Camaros with LSs and you know Mustangs with Coyotes in them. It's amazing.
2: Right, and that's and that's exactly right. You know, there's something. There's something cool, there's something charming about, about, particularly now you know, bumping up to the 60s, the era of the 60s, the world changed. I grew up in it from attitudes, fashion, music, rock and roll and the escalation of the popularity of it. And the styling and the performance of the cars took a huge transition in the 1960s that's been documented in movies and TV shows yeah. and articles and everything else these cars are relatively easy to work on when we start dealing in the cars before they went to the big bumpers generally starting in 1973. So I mean the 1960s the muscle car movement arguably started by the Pontiac GTO in 1964 exploded within a couple years where all the manufacturers had to get on board with the program or miss out of having a halo car. All these years later that excitement hasn't eased up at all. In fact, just the opposite has happened. It's even gotten stronger. These are, cars have gotten in more demand. Now, we're not seeing a big trend of cars being Resto modded that are you know, numbers matching authentic high performance versions. Typically, let's say a Chevelle might be a 307 or a 350 powered Chevelle that's been Resto modded into an LS engine and SS badging. Very rarely do we see an actual real investment grade car get modified. I'm all in favor of the rest of because it's really helping to keep attention to keep that car relevant and man the aftermarket they are absolutely filled with an unbelievable number of options to go from chassis and 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 suspension goodies and rear ends and brakes and interiors and gauges and engine options and a lot of that stuff is plug and play now it's an incredible industry. I
0: drove – yesterday I drove into into Denver, right? And I live about 40 miles outside Denver. I took a 69 Dodge Charger, 542 cubic inch, big block, nitrous, nasty car. I got a gear vendors on it so I could roll it down the highway. It's so insane to see people's reaction to that car. I mean, people in – you Know, I had this Porsche drag my ass because I just put BF Goodrich radio TAs on it. I didn't have my racing slicks on it, so I matted it about 30 or 40 and it just smokes the tires. Um, but this Porsche drug me. Did you me. do a wheelie at the same time? Like, in no man, theory? I just smoked it. But the guy was so, uh, yeah, like he, there's no doubt him and his GT3, you know, $150,000 Porsche smoked me, but man, he was so thumbs up, so excited, uh, to have my car that charger next to him. He, he couldn't get enough of it. It's so cool to see things like that, man. Wow. Well, even if you didn't grow up with them, you've seen enough movies That's and things it. that it,
1: it's burned into your persona, you know? That's it. Now, John, I think last time we talked to you, um, you know, we were talking about how, you know, a lot of the old muscle cars uh, didn't quite pull in the, the pricing when they were modified, like resto modded. But, you know, the last five, maybe eight, 10 years, like people have really kind of wrapped their brain around Resto mods, like you said, for the non-numbers matching. And the prices have really shot up. The popularity is way up there. But I thought you mentioned earlier on that these 80s and 90s cars are really going hot for unmolested. Do you think that's gonna change at some point in the future?
2: No, I think you know, I think that as we as we move forward, the literal handful of what might be considered to be collectible cars, uh, both from foreign makes and from American makes, is so much. Smaller, the pool of available cars is so much smaller, but the demand is still pretty high. It's going to keep the prices up. And a couple of really good examples might be from the Asian world, uh, Acura Integra or, or early NSX. Uh, of course, the mm-hmm. Nissan Skylines being imported out from Japan are getting hotter by the day. Uh, and then on the American side, really, you got to give a lot of credit to the GMF bodies, the Camaros and the Firebird platforms and the Fox Body Mustang. Those are the cars that a new generation of buyer lusted for and wanted back in the day maybe had one with a four-cylinder or something, you know, a Fox four-cylinder. But now when they are starting to think about what is going to make me happy to own moving forward, they're going to go after V8-powered cars, whether it's an LX or GT or whatever it is. And it's those cars that are in original condition and cars that haven't been heavily modified. Some day two bolt-on goodies are not going to hurt the value. But if it's been converted to a full, you know, uh, full-blown, you know, drag car car with heavily modified engine, and you know, suspension made to go fast in a straight line. Period. Not so much. Those cars are good value because they cost a lot of money to build, but cheap to buy now.
1: Well, how about you know, with the the resto mod, the resto mod idea? So if you did a really nicely done Coyote swap or LS swap in an old F body, not not the thing to do right now. Well, that's Sounds a different.
2: Like. That's you know, I'm glad you asked it because that is a completely different dynamic. A well engineered, okay. a well engineered and thought out. Restomod with say like a Fox Body Mustang with with a Coyote upgrade as an example and brakes and suspension and air conditioning and all the systems brought up to speed so that it handles and corners and has the reliability has a reasonable fuel economy uh, is a is a very I mean that is that's that's the essence of Restomod a well-rounded modern era car with a vintage vibe.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right, we we got to take a break, but when we come back, I got to ask you, we touched on a little bit about these Japanese cars, but man, there's something going on with that. There's something going on uh with some of the 90s stuff, and then we got to talk about trucks, SUVs, Broncos. Um man, what is going on in that world? I can't believe what Broncos, even full-size Broncos, Chevy Blazers, all these things are bringing. We're talking about it next. It's the Two Guys Garage podcast. We got John Kramer from Meekum Auction. We got Kevin Bird, We got Willie B. And we'll be back after the break. It is the Two Guys Garage podcast. He is Kevin Byrd. I am Willie B. And we have our boy John from Meekum Auction on. Now, John... So much catch up on, so much talk about. Um, all right, we, we touched on it just ever so quickly. you got to explain, because, uh, you know, I've got a, a, a 93 Skyline. It's the GTS, but it's got the GTR wing on it. It's got the carbon fiber package. You know, when I take that car out, there's as much enthusiasm, especially with the younger people with that car, as some of the older people with my Dodge Charger. It is amazing. The reaction that car gets, it's crazy.
2: Yeah, and it's only going to continue. You know, the JDM, the Japanese domestic market cars that weren't sold here, but yet were popularized in film. I mean, we all know what they are. We all think they're pretty cool. We know that they can be modified to extreme performance levels. So when we see one in the flesh, it's rare. We pay a lot of attention to it. And then ultimately, if you want to buy one, welcome to supply and demand. Prices are outrageous and climbing, literally climbing by the day what's helped as we know is the 25 year rule is up now we can start to bring some of those cars in legally there's procedures for that now and that has made a massive difference into giving these cars a second wave we knew what they were we didn't see them now we're starting to see them and those are saying hey i see one and i want one and there's a lot of people heading in that direction as you know
1: i was gonna say what are the prices in their home country if we're going to try to import them in here uh do they have the same kind of value there? um no not even no, they're just not seeing no. they don't have the same kind of culture and and want and stuff that we do
2: they're taken for granted there because they've been there forever that's where they came from one one disadvantage uh that's it doesn't take much uh, time to get around it is the fact that they're right hand drive so you're sitting on the opposite side uh those of us that have had a chance to drive a car it takes a couple of minutes to get used to the dynamic of it. and there's a few tricks you can do to learn to actually operate one, but that's not that's not having any impact on the on the desirability at all. One thing
0: my mind always does is it goes back to that space. If I if I just relax, it goes back to that space where I'm normally on the road. So I got my car, you know, across the center stripe. I got my, my car literally, you know, where the stripe is going on the passenger side of the thing, because I'm normally on that left-hand side of the yeah. road. But when I'm driving my skyline, it's right-hand drive It's so confusing to watch that. I'm like, Oh, I got to get over. I got to get over. Um, something else. Th- did you ever think you would see the price for a 97 Supra the, the way it is right now? My, like my God, that car, y- you can't touch them for, you know, you got to get deep six figures.
2: Again, look at those sales of those specific cars. Uh, auctions has, has sold a bunch of them. And it's the examples that are, that are cars that have original paint that are nice, cars that haven't been hot rotted, they haven't had the fast and furious treatment. Those are the cars right now that are the high-end investment grade cars. And as I said earlier, one of the problems with these Asian cars, they just simply didn't sell, we're talking about a U.S. market car now. Uh, those cars just were never sold in the same kind of quantities. So, and that's just gonna keep the price high. The Supers back. But a lot, and it's a good car, but it's basically a BMW as we know. So I'm not sure that car is scratching the, you know, scratching the itch of somebody that wants a a real Supra. And uh, so they're they're starting to look at the vintage ones. And you find a nice one, you better bring a big checkbook.
0: What about some of these, you know, German cars? Some of these, you know, European offerings. I, I feel like BMW has got. Uh, Got a lot of traction lately in some of the older cars and platforms, and they seem to be bringing big numbers,
2: you know? Yeah, but you know what's funny? Those cars, I think there's a reputation in general for European cars that they may be a little more difficult to get worked on. The parts might be more expensive. They might be a little bit more finicky. As you get into the older era BMWs, as an example, um, that's not so much a truth. Into the modern era, the electronics are so complex on those things, and as they age, you can get some issues. Um, but it's, they don't they just don't seem, the European cars don't seem to have the interest and the traction that the Asian cars yeah. have, uh, with obviously with a few exceptions, but just, you know, looking at the overall picture.
1: Interesting. Well, tell us a little bit about this sort of truck, SUV, Broncos, you name it, Blazers, you know, what do you see there, and and do you see anything stopping? I mean, it seems like the older 50s trucks were popular than the 67, and it just seems like doesn't matter what era. You know, you've got the boxy uh C10s and whatnot. Just everything truck SUV just seems like it's, it's on the table. The,
0: the square bodies, man. Yeah. The, the Blazers, the full-size Broncos, the mid-80 offerings are through the roof. We're seeing prices in the mid-80s stuff between the Broncos and the K5 Blazers like we saw – with this you know with the 69 Bronco you know it's literally commanding those those same or close to it numbers
2: it's a frenzy and it's a craze and let me tell you where I think it started because I'm not really a truck guy I'm a muscle car guy so I I saw it happening and I wasn't sure if it was gonna stay at a high level and it's gone way beyond any of our expectations nice original old patinaed, stock drivetrains, upgraded, it doesn't matter. If you've got a, a vintage truck or an SUV, it's going to be popular. Here's one of the reasons why I think, and I'd like to get your guys' thoughts on it as well. If we look at today's current new vehicle market, and, and if we look at the domestic market, and we look at trucks from Ram and from Chevy and GMC, and then, of course, the S-Series from Ford, they're the number one sellers for all of those respective brands. They outsell cars and have for a long time. Didn't always used to be that way. Trucks are now embedded into our mainstream, and we buy trucks and we operate them like we did cars 20, 30 years ago. That I think that attitude has filtered its way down to the vintage trucks. And that's the only dots that I can connect of why this new emerging market is so hot on trucks. What do you guys think? Dude, I I I
0: got a I got a thought on that. So Recently, I, I bought a few cars for a buddy that was selling them in California. um I bought a who would have ever guessed this? I bought a '99 Tahoe, right? That had literally like 80,000 miles on it, but it was ungodly clean. I think 79,000 somewhere in that ballpark. I paid $17,000 for that truck. Crazy and high. Right, it's stupid, right? But then you know, I sent out to California. A new one's a hundred grand. A hundred grand. So, dude, that thing had, you know, sixty-nine or seventy-nine thousand miles on it, in tip pristine shape. Paint was gorgeous, and you couldn't touch that thing with a new one. It sold out there for like twenty-four thousand dollars. So, I I think it's two things. I think a the price of the new ones are so expensive people can't touch them, and then I think something we're overlooking is the simplicity of even a mid-eighties truck or SUV. I just picked up a an 80 K5 Blazer. It's the simplest thing to work on ever. You got tons of room, everything's mechanical. You don't have to worry about a lot of electronic issues like you would in a newer vehicle, and you could literally you could dive into that truck, feel confident in anything you want to do from the LS swap to you know any sort of conversion, but they're simple, they're easy to work on, they're not intimidating, but they look so good. People always comment on them. They're nostalgic. I think there's a lot of room for that market to even grow bigger than what it is right now, which is, it's through the roof now. I'm I'm excited about where that could go.
1: Well, if you think about it, they're family-friendly. You throw all your kids, you throw all your stuff yeah. in it, right? You know, the old 50s cars were big, so you could put a lot of things in it. You can put your family in them and whatnot. Like you mentioned earlier, the station wagons. But the truck, man, you can put your dog, they're dog-friendly, they're everything-friendly. You can take them everywhere. Uh, and you can... Yeah, you, know, you can you can run around with a beat up old hot rod, but you know a truck is kind of meant to be a little bit dinged and scratched, and so there's a certain factor where you can kind of get into a truck, and it's completely acceptable for it to have all the patina and all the wear on it. So you know, maybe that entry point is is simple for folks, and I think a lot of people who maybe didn't dream about owning a truck, but I know I you know after every baseball game that we won. We all piled in the back of somebody's pickup truck and went and got Slurpees or something, yeah. you know. Because so, it was right.
0: legal to be in the back of yeah. a pickup truck back then. So you get arrested in that now. We all have
1: experiences <laughs> in trucks, even if it wasn't like, "Wow, I want to own a truck." When you were a kid, right. uh, you probably still have a bunch of memories of, you know, being in one, your dad's truck, somebody's truck, being on the farm, you name it. So, yeah, it could be a cup, you know, a pull and a practicality thing, all kind of wrapped up in,
0: you know, in a bow here. John, I got one more for you. We've we've not mentioned the black sheep Ooh. of 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 these trucks and SUVs, and that's the Mopar, the Power Wagon, the Ram Charger. Yeah, um, rarely dude, seen. I, I rarely seen. I, I'm a guy who who's owned several of them. Uh, I got an old Power Wagon out back. I plan on restoring here in the next few years. We're, so I've seen the Broncos bring six figures. Even the full-size, the OJ version of the Bronco bringing, you know, 50, 60 Gs now. The K5s, you know, those things bringing 60, 70, 80 or more. So we both, we, we realize it's acceptable in there on the Chevy and the Ford side. I haven't seen any Ram chargers or power wagons to know where that market is or if it's the same, similar, well below. Where, where do you find the Mopar offerings because the production numbers just weren't there so, does that make it worth more, or less? What's the, what's the trick?
2: Yeah, less. You know, they're, they're ob- of, of the big three there, they're the best value. Uh, Plymouth made the trail duster. We've seen those from time to time. Dodge, you know, of course, with the Ram Charger, which is a little bit of a cooler name. But yes, they didn't make them in the same kind of quantities. And, and that we can take that same uh, observation and we can put that towards the trucks of the same time period, the trucks and the SUVs both. We see plenty of Chevys lots of Fords, rarely do we see anything in a Dodge truck of any type. This is the pre-RAM era. And uh, of course, now in today's modern world, the Ram is a huge success, a heck of a truck, the brand new Rams and late model Rams. I mean, if I was in the market for truck, that's the direction I would head. Um, But you you start going back to the 50s, 60s, 70s, and the 80s, They just never sold in the same quantity. They don't exist out there with the same degree of notoriety. So they bring less money. They're better value.
0: Hmm. Oh, but still something that you think is worthy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Anything, uh, you know, at least in my mind, John, you have way more experience, but, uh, anything that hasn't quite blown up yet, but it's in that same segment, uh, seems like that's the value to get, even if it's not your, you know, your bag, uh, it's probably got a lot of up room uh for growth and then you know maybe you can swap out sometime in the future for what you really want but uh would you say that's kind of right on par hey, who's to say you don't want a power wagon because those things are awesome I know, i'm just saying you know anything <laughs> in the you know that's surrounded by that's blowing up it's probably going to get carried along with it i would assume
2: there is a there is there is a saying in the collector car world that applies to this perfectly and that is a rising tide lifts all ships you just don't know when that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. None of us are smart enough to be able to predict it, let's say in the next three to five years, but it's safe to say that anything from a collector standpoint, anything in a truck or a four by four, this is probably not the time to buy. I'm going to go
0: out on a limb and predict that the, the late nineties and early two thousands Ram air cars, like the Pontiac firehawk, yeah. um, WS six, I think those are oh, going to yeah. be, you know, the next big $50,000 muscle car, sort of you know you still not score them in the 20s but i think that that's a car to hold on to and really is going to be a collector down the road w- where do you see like if somebody's out there looking for cars now um you know give us a couple a couple go-to buyers and a couple ones that we should keep an eye out on and what's a couple mainstays that never you don't feel like it is ever going to lose well, money let me,
1: let me jump in on that one because that's kind of where i was headed you know if we forward think for a minute and then we think about where we're at with evs coming in um, you know, this muscle car thing is probably going to wind itself down. So, you know, it's not an everlasting trend that we're on here with, you know, 800, 900 and, you know, millions and millions of these vehicles out there. There's going to be a stop point on it. So how do you see kind of the future with, you know, things shifting in the EV space?
2: Well, you know, if if history repeats itself and it typically does, <clears throat> I was there and active when, Muscle car era 1.0 started to wind down in the early 70s, and it took a while. It took maybe five to 10 years, uh, all through the 70s, for us to maybe realize that these cars are special. Maybe the end of an era. We didn't know it was going to come back with a vengeance. Muscle car 2.0 with Hellcats and you know the contemporary Camaros and the Firebirds. The evolution of the Corvette can be thrown in there as well. But you know, here's here's kind of my thoughts on this whole thing. I think that we're all probably looking at an EV future as probably not gonna get as much traction as we currently think. Even some of the strongest EV supporters are saying that by the year 2030, um, but only about 30% of the market is still gonna be pure EVs. I think that smaller engines, especially with turbochargers and hybrid assist is probably the performance uh, direction of the future. And I'll cite you a good example. Uh, we're all Mopar fans. Stellantis, now the Mopar parent company, has recently announced it's in production, the Hurricane Inline 6, three liter, double overhead cam, uh, 24 valve, twin turbo, two versions, a 420 horse version and a 510 horsepower version, weighs 100 pounds less than the current Hemi V8s that we know are going away at the end of the 2023 model year. Stellantis has said that. They're over with. They've developed this brand new engine that now is only available in the in the Wagoneer series. I think we're going to see a second wave of performance in the modern era with these new high-tech engines that are low emission, high fuel economy, high horsepower, add a little bit of mild hybrid assist, 100 or 200 horsepower, and we're right back up to Hellcat power levels. I'm just saying.
1: Right, I'm thinking from the perspective of right, we have all these Mustangs, Camaros, uh Corvettes and everything on the market you can get for 800, you know, 800 horsepower plus. Uh, but that's going to shut itself down. Is there some particular models and years that we should be grabbing and hanging on to for the next 10, 15 years that you think are going to blow up because there won't be anymore? They're, you know, they're going to be what you just described, something different, but not the V8 with the blower and all that stuff. You know, should we be grabbing a 23 Mustang or the very last of the, yes. the Hellcats yes. and, you yes. know, stashing Bye. them away? Get them now.
2: Get them now. 2023 is the end of the end of the traditional Mopar V8 that we've been so accustomed to since the mid-2000s and the Challenger since 08. Um, 2023 is the end of the road. Get one, drive it, take good care of it. That's probably going to be a good investment. Same thing over on the Mustang side, the GT500 is going out of production, 760 horsepower, the most potent um, Mustang ever built. However, The 2024 Mustang's coming back with a new platform and they are, they beefed up the Coyote with a manual transmission. The re-engineered Mustang, 80% all new for the 2024 model year, we'll see it next year, has got a Coyote that'll be putting out as much as 500 horsepower behind an old school three pedal six speed. So keep an eye on these. If any of us think that it's gonna be the end of the road for these traditional high powered platforms, get them while you can, because after the fact, you'll be paying a premium. In fact, we're paying a premium right now for a lot of cars. So
0: let me ask you this. I, I scored a 2021 red eye. It's got two two 2,600 miles. I'm keeping it under 3,000 miles. When you say go get one of these new ones, um, does the mileage matter as much as it used to?
2: You know, there are buyers that are going to want for a collection and not to be driven, they're going to want a great color, they're gonna want the last year, they're gonna want no miles on it. But that's a, that's a, really, that's a pretty s- tiny sliver of a segment. Most buyers want some miles so that they can take the vehicle out and enjoy it and drive it. And as we know, those cars will fetch less money than a zero mileage car, they just do. So I think the bulk of the market will totally accept a vehicle that's been well taken care of, unmodified, good color, great pedigree, good maintenance, That's a pretty safe bet right now. I mean, I've got some late model performance cars, and they're all either holding their value or going up in value as we're sitting here talking. It's crazy. 100%.
0: Yeah. Nuts. It's crazy. You could... You could sell a, I could sell my Challenger Red Eye for more than what I paid for it a couple years ago right now, which is nuts.
2: <laughs> I have a Coyote powered, I, I have it. a Coyote powered 14 Mustang GT. I ordered new, it's a six speed. it's black, it's got 25,000 miles and I've never been driven in the rain. I paid $28,000 for that car brand new back in, back it actually it was 2013, but it's a 2014 model year car. That car today is worth around $30,000. Wow. But I'm not selling it. Yeah. Well, that's it. You hey yeah.
1: guys, you know, hang on to what you got. Cause you know, that era, I think we might have, you know, still some fun in that space, but those particular cars with those V8 engines, man, they are going to be limited. So
2: they're going away. We're going to smaller engines, fours uh-huh. and sixes, smaller engines. Turbochargers and hybrid assist will have the same performance, it'll just be delivered in a different way. Just won't be I, as th- cool. that's my prediction. I have no inside information, I'm predicting that's going to happen. I don't think we're done with perform with modern era performance cars as we move more towards electric. I still think there's a lot of traction left on the ice engines, just not the big burly V8s, and certainly not a supercharged V8.
1: Oh, I, I think the EV performance market's going to go crazy, they're going to all compete. They're going to try to have halo cars. They're going to try to make it look cool. You're going to be able to get something amazing from performance aspect, but you ain't going to get the V8.
0: So that's the thing that's going to make it a collectible in my mind.
2: Yep. Well said. I agree.
0: Amen to all of it. All right. So John, where do people keep up with Meekum? How do they find you guys? Social media, give us the, the ins and outs.
2: Yeah. Lots going on. Meekum.com for tons of information. I want to do a shout out to motor trend TV and motor trend plus. This is our our fifteenth year of television, but it's our first year on motor trend. It's been an incredible relationship. Shout out to those guys. Anybody who wants to get in touch with me, I'm real active on Twitter. It's at Car Craman Craman spelled k r a m a n. and we really guys, I just can't tell you how much we appreciate your support. We appreciate your interest. We're all cut from the same cloth. let's let's do it again soon. Hell yeah. yeah
0: man, a one final car for your your mind to settle on, it's it's my car, my, the greatest car ever built, ever created a 1970 Dodge Charger. Is that ever going to go down in value? Will I ever be able to buy another one of those under like, you know, 50 grand?
2: <laughs> I would say that probably three years in particular in the Dodge Charger lineup, 68, 69, and 70, those three years have already established them as an A-list car, with a whole new generation of enthusiasts and they are never going down in price. Never. Yeah. So once yeah. again, I sound like a broken record. Buy one now. If you're thinking about it, they'll never be cheaper. Yeah, They're going up <laughs> in value.
0: <laughs> it's true. All right, man. Always awesome. Catching up with you. Uh, don't forget about our show. Aaron motor train network. Check your local listings. You can also find us on motor train plus streaming, which is a great way and great resource. And while you're there, check out Meekam; it's awesome. Watch your guys do their thing as well. Thanks to John Craman He's just an absolute unbelievable resource, a great friend, and a guy I love to tackle because he's always surprised by it. Um, so yeah, man, check those guys out. Thanks to our producer Scoop, executive producer Bob Ecker, Kevin Bird, and Willie B for the Two Guys Garage podcast.
1: Yeah, don't forget to check out our website, twoguysgarage.com, all kinds of great goodies on there. We're on social everywhere Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Two Guys Garage. Now, of course, this Two Guys Garage podcast is copyrighted 2022, Brenton Productions Incorporated, all rights reserved. Man, John, I tell you, thank you so much. It's so awesome to get your insight because this is your world, man. Yeah. We're in the car business, but we don't get to see the prices, what's hot, what's not, the trends. You're connecting all these dots and you're sharing it with us, you're sharing it with our listeners. Very awesome.
0: Thank you, sir. Love Always it.
2: my pleasure. Anytime, guys. Glad glad we could make it work.
0: Cool, cool. Okay, buddy. Thank you, man. We'll talk soon, okay? All right.
2: See you, everybody. All right,
0: guys. Hope you
1: enjoyed it. We'll catch you on the next Two Guys Garage podcast.
0: Two Guys Garage podcast is a production of Britain Productions. For more episodes, visit iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.